Welcome. Um, Congratulations to you, Nick, on uh, becoming a father earlier than expected. But, thank you. Uh, yes, yes, much, yeah. yes, much earlier than I expected. Uh, I think much earlier than any of us were expecting. It was about a month early. Um, yeah. So anyway, we're back. Uh, we're we're not going anywhere. We're gonna try to be a little bit more regular about the shows. Everyone, uh, no, I know that's been a little bit rough um, because we didn't quite get all the plans in place before I was able to leave. So. You know, life happens. Um, anyway, we are back, um, like I said. So let's just go ahead and get into it. Svee, you just went to HFES uh, on our behalf and got some really great interviews. I haven't had a chance to listen to them all yet, but you got some names. Yeah, I, uh, I was pretty... I was surprised at the amount, at the reception I got when asking people to do these interviews, and they were pretty much all available to do that. Except there was, I asked the woman from Amazon, but she had to, like, sign some NDA uh, first yeah. or something like that. But, yeah, I asked the woman from Amazon, but she had to, like, sign some NDA uh, first yeah. or something like that. But, yeah, I was able to sit down with Chris Wickens. Uh, he was the first interviewer. He actually loved it so much that he actually came to me afterwards later that night uh, saying how he forgot to talk about two other passion projects of his. I said, well, Chris, why don't you come on the show again? And we had it's Chris perfect. again a second time. Um, big fans of the show. We had a couple fans coming up at the show, actually, at the booth, uh, saying that they listened to the cast, and um, they, were, they were loving that, uh, except that they were interrupting the interviews, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to say hi. Yeah, I had a couple of those. Um, yeah. So yeah, we got Chris Wickens, we had Colin Drury, um, we had Ann Besants, Amy Pritchett, uh, John Lee, so some big names in, in automation and trust. That seemed to be the theme, actually, I think you'll find out once you listen to these episodes. Yeah. It seemed to be, and that kind of seemed to be a theme generally with HFES of these, this year, at least with my whatever sessions I went to and I was exposed to. But the idea of trust and automation, um, automation transparency, autonomous vehicles, and kind of the role of the human going from supervisory, you know, back to a controlling uh, role. Interesting. And so, yeah, so... It, it seemed like there were kind of some people were championing this regression back to this human control, but the idea just being that now is that just just generally is that because autonomous systems are not at the point where it can be fully autonomous and humans need to be able to still jump in to control like is that kind of the theme that you were picking out there? Yeah, it seemed to be that that idea of of humans being out of the loop and mm. that that over reliance on the system and so that over the I guess what is what is uh, <laughs> John Lee called that overtrust or, or okay. when it's not calibrated. And so I think that seems to be the case. And um, Amy Pritchett actually put it wonderfully in the case of a bus driver. There was a story where um, some, some, there was a bus driver driving a, a bus full of kids and a bee came in, stung a kid. Someone hit someone in the nose with an elbow and like the bee is running around. And meanwhile, the bus driver stopped the car, was able to go in the back, you know, get the bee out, stop the bleeding, you know, comfort the kids. And so like there's all these components that... Huh. that, that a, an autonomous vehicle wouldn't be capable of doing. I mean, unless you're thinking, like, way futuristic. So right. it's kind of the, the human touch component to it. But, Nick, as well, what you were saying earlier about the, the being out of the loop and the idea of lack of or loss of vigilance. And so 
kind of realizing those errors that are occurring from that and trying to you know design for that and make sure we we go through this slower than um slower and more accurate i guess yeah very cool well we do have those interviews i know a lot of our listeners are wondering where are they we'll get them up um actually they should be up right after or just before this show goes live um we will have those for you so i think we have what five in total six in total. uh five plus chris wickens part two so we've got six we got we got uh, yeah. bonus Wiccans. There you go. <laughs> All right, so we got six of them. Now, Svi, I want to take a, a step back, back, and kind of ask you generally. Like we like to do around all of our around all of our conference coverage. You know, we we tie, we try to ask kind of um, just general impressions of the conference. Like, how was it? This was your first HFES, right? Yeah, first HFES, first conference actually. Oh, really? Um, wow. All together, yeah. So. Um, it was, I thought it was really, really fun. I mean, it was in Seattle, um, which was a great city. We had beautiful weather. And the conference was an amazing place. Like, so I, I actually... Really quick, you yes. got to walk a careful line here because I'm really upset that I didn't get to go. Oh, so don't make it sound so too great. Okay, got it. But at the same time, I want you to be honest, so if it really kicked ass, then, then so it did. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, all right, I'll go. I'll, I'll tread carefully here. Okay. But, um, it was it was well well run off the bat the opening reception they had good food it was placed throughout appropriately good spots for people to mingle um, and I was a little focused in the first part because I was presenting uh, the first session um, and so that presentation went really well um, except that they this is again one of the low lights I think I found from Human Fact from HFES was kind of the organization of it um, how the, so like what like what what about it well. Well, first of all, I mean, they had the, the meeting agenda, the, the program that was, that was established like four days before, and then after that, they had changes to the session. So I'm a little mm-hmm. butthurt because my session was supposed to be at 2 p.m., and it was brought on to be 11 a.m., which is fine for me. You get the nerves out of the way, but I got a crowd that a lot less than I was expecting, and so people weren't aware of some important sessions that they perhaps would want to go to, and those notifications weren't made more salient. Um, there was a piece of paper inserted into the agenda that alerted mm. people to notifications, to the uh, changes. Um, and the mobile app that they have was not too great either. I mean, the website, and you and I were talking about this beforehand in terms of I was trying to find uh, speaker times and things like that. And ironically, the Human Factors designed within the Human Factors website is not that great. So that was a little bit something that I, I heard talking to several people at the conference that they found that a little bit... Um, a little bit frustrating, frustrating, yeah. but otherwise, like you know, where the rooms were and the 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 maps for the rooms and everything was was pretty handled was handled pretty well after that. Um, That's good. Yeah, I mean, I, I do know that some of them uh, of the planners of HFES do listen to the show, so maybe they'll hear that feedback and kind of take it. And I know that's been a big push uh, from the HFES side. I am involved with um, some committees with HFES to kind of help improve that type of thing. And I'm not excusing it. I just know that that is high on their radar. I know they're looking at that stuff. And I know that organization can be challenging uh, when you have a lot of that stuff. Um, so not excusing the behavior, not excusing the planning. But uh, sorry to hear that's a low light. But let's get to some of the highlights, man. Like, it's, it sounds like you've had a pretty positive experience overall. Yeah. Um, and again, I think it, was, it helped that I was in an opportunity to uh, you know, being a field correspondent for this podcast, uh, I was able to meet such like distinguished people that I've only ever like read about yeah. and I've seen their names plastered everywhere. Um, but being able to sit down with these guys and like, I mean, 
It's funny because anyone sees them. I actually saw John Lee in the airport afterwards. Um, oh, like, yeah? Two days later. I didn't say anything to him, but I was thinking, like, anyone sees this guy, no one knows who he is. Yeah. But if you're, like, a human factors person, you're like, oh, It's a superstar. Yeah, you superstar. walk up to him. You, you, hey, the, now that right. you've, like, had the interview with him, you can walk up and be like, hey, man, like, what's yeah, going on? Yeah, you know? No, so that, that's, I mean, that, that's exactly it. Like, I've, I, this, through the conference in general, I was able to build this rapport with people that I've only ever, like, read about. And so, you know, um, even, like, Susan Halbach, who's now the new president-elect, I believe she's going to be taking over. Yes, she should be the new president. Yeah. President. So she was just, like, super, super sweet. Um, uh, a, a colleague of ours was a PhD student of Ellen Bass. Mm-hmm. And I know you interviewed her last year at the conference. Yeah, we talked to correctly. her. And mm-hmm. she's, she's great. But she, she was uh, just these people that are, uh, they're very, like, they're, they're, they're extremely approachable. Um, they're very friendly. And they're very willing to be, like, act as mentors. And so sitting down with the people I interviewed um, for the Human Factors cast, as well as just people at the meeting, uh, it was just a really inspiring and empowering um, experience for people to sort of, you know, relate to where we're at or where I'm at in my career and right. to be able to say, like, to see the progression of where it goes and to see how, especially talking through these interviews, as, you, as uh, I'm sure the listeners will um, find out tonight, is a lot of their paths in getting to where they are today are just, you know, seem random, uh, but also some of them seem to be due to, you know, external forces. I mean, um, Chris Wickens was drafted into the military yeah. to serve, and so a lot of his experience came from seeing mishaps there. And so... Um, I thought it was interesting and kind of a takeaway for that is just being able to like see how human factors kind of popped up into every context of life. And we all know this, I guess, is, I mean, it, it really involves any decision making, any attention, any, you know, um, active memory that you're using. And so it was just really empowering to be able to see the, the, the broad range of work that different people are working on it and how they're so willing to pay that forward and to help younger human factors professionals. Yeah, and I I always thought it was especially kind of useful to our audience. I mean, the target demographic of this podcast has always been kind of young human factors professionals that listen to podcasts or, um, you know, folks who are interested in human factors and want to know how to break into the field or even students, right? Like, it's definitely uh, towards the junior human factors practitioner whereas as like you go on in your career you kind of find your own niche and you kind of do your own thing and um you know the the more general aspect of human factors becomes much less appealing um i I don't know that's kind of how i feel about it right like once you find your area then you're like yeah but automation and cars that's cool uh, or, you know, I, I feel like this podcast is kind of an escape for that, too. And so I'm super glad that you got to talk to people from a wide range of topics and kind of cover, you know, not just um, the things that, you know, you're kind of interested in, but just this whole swath of uh, topics. Now, I, I got to ask you, like, did you talk to any um, anyone else at the conference? Like, like, what's, like, the general attitude around the conference? Was it pretty positive? Were people uh, happy about what the... Th- what the what types of things they were seeing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, so yeah, I was also able to speak to uh, just like students that I've met or younger human factors professionals, not these like big hotshots. And people generally seem to, <coughs> to <coughs> excuse me, Beaks, <coughs> generally seem to be pretty excited about the work that's going on, excited to share their ideas, excited to like see what they have to do. Um, and like people see, it seemed that the impression of the general populace there was one of faith and hope in the society. And, you know, someone, I met someone who was, um, 
who is looking into aging and kind of the human factors implications around there and the, the senior citizens. And so she was just hitting every single aging um, technical group that there was, and she was finding value from each one, one after another after another. And so um, generally, people were, were about it. Uh, Friday morning, there, were, there was a large attendance of people there Friday morning, which I feel That's is, great. is great, considering people like, you know, if they've got a presentation, sometimes they might just pick up and leave after, or Thursday night they'll leave. So, so overall, there was good feeling. Um, the one thing I'll say is that the um, the opening talk uh, was about uh, not being a human factors and ergonomics zombie, uh, and that kind of I felt was a good message to encourage us to sort of be more active in our community and to sort of find human factors implications and opportunities everywhere but it kind of also gave this message of like don't be like complacent don't be like a zombie about it but be more active and it kind sure. of it was a little bit jarring at, to get that first message and i think yeah. that it left some people a little bit uh weird in that first little maybe oh, half session but then i think that, yeah. that feeling kind of petered out i was gonna ask if you went to any of the plenary sessions so it sounds like you went to that one did yeah. you go to any of the other ones throughout the other so, couple days yes yeah, so that was followed actually by a um a panel with the, I'm going to just throw this under an umbrella of safety and ergonomics, health and safety uh, directors of REI, Boeing, and Amazon. And okay. they were just talking about the different program initiatives they have, uh, the challenges they face. They face um, and then the guy from Boeing got a bunch of flack for the 737 crashes. Yeah. The 737 crashes. Yeah, I kind of felt a little bit. Uh, who, who, who <laughs> Mike Ensley started it. Who who was at Boeing? Um, do you do you remember off the top of your head? Matt something. Uh, Matt something. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. But but yeah. So so that was really neat. Um, and then Steve Kasner, who is from IDEO, IDEO. IDEO, he, yeah. IDEO. He did a talk on basically how common sense how common sense might get you killed. Um, and just basically, it was just an encouraging talk to have people think more outside the box, uh, think more creatively, and how sometimes the, the things that seem common sense are not, um, are not as they seem, and sort of um, to just be more exploratory and stuff. And, and that, was, that was neat. Uh, and then there was one more, which I didn't go to, but Dennis Boyle from... I don't know where he's from. But, yeah, they were, they were, they were cool. good. Yeah, good good sessions. Good, yeah. So it sounds like you you kind of covered a lot of different topics and and um, got a good amount of kind of knowledge coming in. Uh, do you find like did did you go to any of the panels like? No, um, I guess kind of biased that way. Where I just I you know for each session, I mean there's so it's like it's like going to a music festival and, oh, yeah. and you have uh, a comp, you, you know pick you choose. So I would kind of just go to the ones that like seemed sexy and sure. the panels didn't always do that for me. But um, do you have experience with panels? In, in I do. Yeah, I, that's why I was asking. I was like, you know, I want to I want to know how they've changed over the years. Um, I was going to ask you what your favorite one was. And mine, mine are always kind of the non-traditional um, don't stand up and talk to you, but rather like maybe come see this experience. Like me and my VE is always my favorite one to go to because it's like, they limit the presentations to five minutes. Look, this is okay. what we minutes. Look, this is okay. what we did. This is how we did it. It's over there in the corner. Go see it. So um, those ones are always my favorite to go to. Um, 
Did you meet up with anybody? Actually, from, oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just you, you got me thinking. I mean, I completely forgot to mention, but one of the most interesting ones I went to, and it wasn't even a panel. It just, I think, was, I don't know how it was classified, but it was by uh, Redenberg and Associates. They're actually a um, forensic analysis. Oh, interesting. Human factors type company based out of San Diego. Okay. Um, and I actually had met them the night before at the gala, and they invited me to their, to their presentation. And it was actually really interesting. It kind of brought me back to like, um, you know, a case studies in human factors class in school where basically they dealt with this case of this grandmother using a pressure, pressure cooker um, while she was cooking. And she, at the same time, she was bathing her two-year-old grandson in the sink next to it. And then basically, as you're already making the facial, expre- making the facial expressions and of it, it, it um, something happened with the lid and the, the vent, the... The pressure kind of went out, and she picked up the lid, and like hot soup went all over the kid, like third degree burns, like leg and arm mist, and it became a whole case. And so they split the what they did was yeah, terrible, but they split the room um, into plaintiff or defendant, and the groups had to. They actually had someone like a lawyer that was there to help like give, um, you know, context to the case, and if we needed more, if we needed more context, she would have provide that. But we had to sort of come up with cases based on principles of human factors of like why, why that she might be, um, why the, from the manufacturer's perspective, why they might be liable or might, why they might not be liable. And so that was a really interesting, interesting uh, it was different than just sitting in a lecture hearing someone talk about their Z scores and the, you know, the P scores, so. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like that was a little bit more interactive mm-hmm. than, oh, that's cool. That's cool. I guess I went to think together and, and they actually they, flip, they, they split it up into like plaintiffs or defendants, whether they, whether they whatever, whichever, based on whatever they wanted to be, and then they switched those groups. So if you thought you were a plaintiff, you're now a defendant. And if you thought you're a defendant, uh, okay. so Switch it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you have these ideas formulating that you've just got to like work on the fly and work together. And that's um, cool. It was cool to like sit with people also who like again going back to being able to sit down with these people at the interviews, these distinguished um, human factors professionals, being able to be in a group with like a grad student and then some fellow and then you know just someone from Netherlands and it was just a nice collaborative space basically yeah. to be able to get that experience, but also like practice, you know and and kind of trying to work together to make a case for something um, using human factors principles. So that was neat. Very cool. One last question. Did you happen to experience any Ergo X while you were there? Again, not. Uh, not I did really. not rather, no. Um, I kind of stayed clear of the ergonomic stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I like ergonomics, but I was also thinking practically, like, yeah. for myself and for my career, how does oh, that yeah, apply yeah. right now. But No, I was just yeah. asking. Yeah. Well, I have been gone for a month. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna jump into some some banter here. So uh, it's it's been a month. I we we had a kid. I have a son now. Uh, it's weird being a parent. Um, and uh, I promised some baby banter. So I don't quite know what to say. It's it, you have these ideas of how you're going to do things when you're a parent, uh, and they just don't happen that way. And it's weird, right? Because like I had. I had all the apps, I had all the tech, like, lined up, ready to go, right? I have, like, the Owlet cam and sock for my son, you know, and, and what that is, it's basically like a Fitbit for babies. You put, the, put that on their foot. And uh, one of our colleagues actually uses this with her kid, and she loves it and was actually used as evidence to um, help convince the pediatrician of something with her kid, right? So... Like, there's that going on, and I was going on, and I was like, oh, that's great. I'm going to use this all the time. I threw it on probably the first day we brought him home, and since then, it's not really been used. And it'll probably be used a lot more, you know, once 
we start having him sleep in his own room by himself, uh, you know, that way we can like monitor his heartbeat from afar and make sure he's still breathing. <laughs> important, important things. For important babies. things. Yeah. But like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's weird, right? Cause like, I also got this app called Baby Manager and it's really convenient because it allows me and my partner to share data across both of us, right? So if one of us logs something, uh, the other one can see it. So it's, it's a baby management app, meaning you're um, able to track bowel movements um, as well as like feed times and sleeping and all that stuff. And if I log something, uh, she can see it on her end, and if she logs something, think of it like Google Docs, but for baby tracking purposes. For poop. Purposes. For poop. For poop. Poople docs. <laughs> the dad jokes are strong, man. The dad jokes are strong. Yeah. They are coming left and right, and it's like an untapped superpower. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, you have all these like, preconceived notions about like what it's like to have a kid, and like you're like, I'm just going to use this thing because I know it'll work. We use that baby manager app for the first like week just because you have so many pediatrician check-ins, um, especially us yes, because he was premature. So we had to make sure that everything was going according to plan and that everything was okay. And so we would, we would log it all. And then once the pediatrician was like, yep, we're all good, stopped using it. It didn't matter. Like it's basically like keep doing what you're doing. It's fine. Um, and... I don't know, I, I guess I've grown kind of a lot of sympathy for parents that uh, get ragged on for doing things a certain way, because it's like, it really is just... It's, yeah, and it's probably thrown off your schedule altogether, right? I mean, I can't believe you even had the wherewithal to, like, throw this thing on your baby's foot when you got home. You probably had, like, 500,000 other things to think about as well, so... It's... Let me tell you, man, like, time dilation is so weird. So, okay, uh, the, the adage of days are short, or wait... Days are long, months are short is so true. Like, I can't believe I'm back to work already. I can't believe I'm back to podcasting already. I can't believe that was a month. Um, because, like, for, for us, you know, we were, we were doing this strategy where uh, my partner would pump before she goes to sleep, and then uh, that way there's a supply overnight where I can feed the baby while she gets uninterrupted sleep. And then when she wakes up, she takes over and then I get eight hours of uninterrupted sleep. And then we come together for eight hours and we both kind of tag team the baby and also kind of the house and try to keep it in order, you know? And, and so that worked for us. So my shift was like from 12 at night to 8 a.m. You know, it's like, so I was spending a lot of time awake at night and then I had to slowly start shifting my schedule for, for work and now we're kind of at this place where we're kind of meeting halfway where I'm getting five and a half hours of uninterrupted sleep and we're moving her into the five and a half hour range. So that way, like, there's still coverage and that way we're not overly tired, um, but then we still have these responsibilities. And it's weird, right? Like, just trying to trying to get all this right. Uh, anyway, I have a kid and we kept him alive for a month and it's like, you know... Just got to get him to that point where he can start feeding himself. Um, and then I feel like it will just be like, uh, you know, once they can take care of themselves, then it's good. I'm it's not good. good. Once they can take care of themselves, then it's good. I'm it's not good. good. Another like six, seven years until they can like... Uh, yeah, a couple more. <laughs> <laughs> so, so not to stay on this too long, but I guess just considering the name no, of the podcast. No, we can stay on it. Yeah. Because... Uh, what are there? Uh, what are some human factors 
errors or issues or just like salient things that have popped up or that you realized, uh, you know, because I'm sure you, even if you're off the clock, you're kind of always wearing that hat as a human factors professional. So what do you see about the whole process maybe of, of rearing a child or, yeah. I don't know, the, the technology you've, you've interacted with? Or is there anything that you think might be interesting for our uh, audience, you know, after well, any, any expecting parents here? That was kind of my point with, with, you know, talking about the Owlet and the Baby Manager app. You have all these preconceptions of, like, what technology you're going to use, and then it might be that you don't need it or you just don't use it. And so it's like, it's weird to get your expectations in a place place where you're like thinking about all the ways in which this technology can improve your life when really baby just needs to feed and change his diaper and like just do the basics. Like just get the basics out of the way. And, you know, if you, if you are feeling um, active and uh, what's not lazy. I don't know. Ambitious. Like what, ambitious. Yes, that's that's a good word for it. If you're feeling ambitious, you can do those things, and it's like extra credit. Great. I just I I don't know. Like I feel like human factor. The thing that and this is gonna sound really weird, but I'm treating my partner as kind of like this factory. <laughs> okay, that sounds really bad, but let me explain. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, breast milk is is this magical elixir of life that produces exactly what baby needs. And so it's been very much like, and, and she's been thinking about it this way too, where it, it, it's a factory. You, you produce and you store and you optimize by bringing forward the, the oldest one and then storing the newest one in the back so that way, you know, it never expires. And it's always on this moving conveyor belt where you pump, you put it in the fridge, you move the other one forward, you feed that one to baby. And like, it's just this, this uh, process that you go through and try to optimize. And I think we got it down pretty good, but it's just, it's one of those things where I'm like, how can we, opti- how can we optimize this? How, are, are there way- and I am always thinking about that. I'm like, how do I optimize feeding my baby? Do I, do I, <laughs> this is sound really bad. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't call child service on me. But like, there have been nights where like, you know, we're just so tired. So like, do we just prop up a blanket under their bottle so that way they could just, you know, get it themselves. You know, some nights, that works. <laughs> Other nights you sit there and you feed them uh, straight to their face, um, you know, just as long as they're not choking. You put on a slow flow. There's a whole hack to it, right? You put on the slow flow, you let them just drink what they need, and then it eventually falls out of their mouth because they're tired. And then you burp them when you can. So... <laughs> I sound like a really bad parent. I promise I'm not. Uh, just do what works for you. Anyway, we do have to get into some of these news stories. I promised our listeners that we would get into some news. So, uh... this is the part of the show all about human factors. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. It can be anything from medical, robotics, neuroscience artificial intelligence, you name it. As long as it relates to the field of human factors, it is fair game to, for us to talk about it. Svee, we have two news stories this week because I figured we'd go long on the HFES run, and we did. And baby, and baby Rome. And Baby Rome, yeah. yeah. So, oh, and I do have to call out uh, really quick before we get into the news. One of my friends, uh, since I'm a Star Wars fan, gave me the best name for my family. It's called Rome Squadron. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, we've got two news stories. What's up first this week, Svee? Yeah, so uh, a newly published study actually shows that skilled pilots approaching a runway 
usually can't see small unmanned aircraft systems, or UASs, encroaching on their airspace, and they virtually never detect motionless drones. So during an airborne human factors experiment, researchers identified that certif certified pilots, researchers identified that certif certified pilots failed to see a common type of quadcopter during 28 of 40 close encounters. To make things even worse, when the drone was not moving, the task became even more difficult, with only three out of 22 motionless drones being spotted by the pilots. These findings illustrate a real and growing threat to aviation safety, and there is currently no reliable method for tracking UES flights within the United States. Nick, what does that, uh, how does that make you feel, thinking about <laughs> our pilots not seeing objects, motionless objects on the runway? I mean, what about people standing on the runway directing traffic? Uh, yeah, it's scary, right? Because, I mean, like, we, we've talked about sort of this need for drone aircraft control, and I, I wish Blake was around to talk more intelligently about this because I, he has more experience with the whole um, uh, aircraft. Uh, what's Wow, I've been out of this a month, and I can't even think about what happens in that control. ATC, ATC. that's yeah, what yeah. it is. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I'm back. <laughs> so he has a much better um, understanding of that space. But I will say this kind of highlights that need for us to have ATC for drones, right? Hmm. Or, or at least some sort of uh, automated system that maybe blocks drones from entering airspace that's, you know, that planes are going to go through, right? We have kind of those restriction zones around airports, but... You know, in cases like this, where they're coming in for uh, landings, right, um, or at least encroaching on their airspace, it doesn't necessarily say landings, but they're, they're still finding these things difficult to find. I don't know, but, like, if you think about it, one of the things they call out here is that even in a best-case scenario, if a drone was spotted at a study's maximum detection range of just over 2,000 feet, um, the pilot would only have about 21 seconds to avoid a collision. So... 21 seconds if you think about what's coming up, but still, you're thinking about maximum distance. So you're thinking about maximum 21 seconds to respond. What's more likely is that as you get closer, you'll detect it, and then you'll have maybe 10 seconds to respond. And that includes aircraft maneuvering, right? So that means getting out of the way of that drone um, and identifying the drone's flight path, right? So if you if you coming in for uh, whatever it is and you see the drone, first you have to identify which direction that drone is heading, and then maneuver in a way that's not going to intercept that drone. I don't know. It's, it's a complex thing, and um, the fact that we're seeing so much of it, it's a common quadcopter that's not being seen in 28 of 40 close encounters. That's startling numbers and kind of highlights the need, I think, for, for more um, integration into the air traffic control system. Right. I don't know. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, off the bat, I'm just thinking, I mean, how large are these objects also? Like a quadcopter we're looking at, is that something that, something that is available commercially that someone might use to drone? Because, I mean, should they be sharing the same airspace? Not airspace, but should... Oh, this is when they're landing, right? It's uh, on the runway. It's... Oh, their airspace. No, yeah, no, okay. Just so airspace thinking, in general, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I, we're on the same page. To do the restriction zones around airports? That makes sense. Yeah, but if you're in flight paths, you know, and it's up, you know, you have a low flying Cessna, right? Then it's possible that those are operating on the same elevation. Mm -hmm. That it could happen. 
So no, but yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think that they they should be taking that into account, um, and that would require a whole different method of visualization, probably, because they're not just going to be. I mean, you have to represent them differently. Different drones might require different representations as well, uh, and it's possible you might have a cluster of drones. There's this uh, concept of of swarms where you have a series. I mean, that's probably more on the military level, but you have a series of drones um, in you have a series of drones um, in Series. series of series drones. Of drones. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Technology, where can I... They're watching. Um, but yeah, so it requires a whole other way of representing them and visualizing them. And so I think that eventually it probably will take a few more years for it to gain traction enough for it to be included in the air traffic control. But it's something that definitely will be required and will require a lot of human factors um, design and analysis into how it might be represented. Yeah, so. and I'm wondering, I, I don't know enough about TCAS, but is it is it something that you can integrate into TCAS, which, it, for the unfamiliar, it's a uh, traffic collision avoidance system, right? So I know this is built in with the air traffic control systems and will provide pilots with alerts if they're going to hit another uh, object. Um, now, if you do integrate, like, a drone ATC network, I, I'm assuming it would plug into something like this so that you have the same kind of thing and would give you those collision detection warnings as well. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what we can do about this other than getting that integrated picture. And, and yeah, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure there was something about it at HFES considering it, the amount of talk I'm that was sure on the I'm sure there was something about it at HFES. <laughs> So we can dig into the archives there. But that's definitely uh, an interesting piece, uh, Nick, and um, definitely one that I think will be coming up again in the future. And, I mean, given the findings of the study, I feel like that's something that will require um, future work, and I think that we'll, we'll oh, yeah. see more of this coming, coming forward for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I should uh, mention that our resident expert in aviation, uh, Matteo, posted that story. So if he has anything else to add, he's in the Slack are you in the Slack yet? You should be in the Slack. In the, yeah, I'm in the Slack. Yeah, I think are. I'm in the Slack. Yeah, yeah, I think you are. All right. Well, we got one more news story. We'll be back to break down the rest of Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back. Uh, before we continue, I just want to thank all of our friends at Embry-Riddle and Smart Cities World for all of our stories this week, all two of them. Uh, if you want to follow along, you can follow us all over social media or join us on Slack, like I just alluded to before the break, for links to the original articles. Um, all right, so, so we got one more news story up this week, and then we'll wrap it up a little early. We're just getting back into the swing of things, so we're gonna we're gonna take a take it easy. I got I got a I got a small child to get home to, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, 
All right. That's the, that's the excuse he's going to be singing all year. All folks. year, folks. All right. So, so I don't want to miss those milestones. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could be walking and talking behind me. Can, yeah, exactly. All right. We got one more news story. What do we got up? So this one actually, uh, again, thanks for gearing this up one. Gearing this one up for me because this one is, uh, speaks close to home considering the whole Canada thing. I'm Canadian. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> so uh, hey. Metro Vancouver firefighters have teamed up with Calgary-based Internet of Things company, SensorUp, to test a new system that helps safeguard first responders from in-building dangers and exposure to dangerous chemicals. In initial test, firefighters were given sensor devices to wear, which track in real time where they are on the scene, if they've fallen, and whether they have been exposed to hazardous airborne substances, as well as monitoring their vital signs, such as temperature and heart rate. So these sensors are connected to the SensorUp uh, Internet of Things platform, which aggregates real-time sensor data into a single dashboard to enable visualization and assessment of emergency situations as they unfold. In addition to the dangers inherent in putting out fires, firefighters are at an increased risk of contracting cancers due to the smoke, pollutants, and chemicals that they are exposed to in the line of duty. So identifying the hazards first responders are faced with in real-time could help mitigate any long exposed to in the line of duty. So identifying the hazards first responders are faced with in real time could help mitigate any long-term health risks associated with toxic exposure. Canada doing it right, Nick. What? Yeah, this, this is, is a, this is impressive. This I is mean, a first in North America. So I, th- I think this story is topical for a, a variety of reasons. You are Canadian. <laughs> there are plenty of fires going around right now, especially in California. Um, as well as other parts of the United States, probably the world, climate change is a thing, so, you know, everything's burning. Is the forest in the Amazon still burning? I don't know. That was a... We should find out. Yeah, we should. That was a news story, like, uh, when I went... A month and a half ago or so? Yeah. But uh, that's actually interesting. This, this kind of relates back to uh, the last human factors. It is still, it's still on fire. It's still, it's still on, on fire? fire. Yeah. Jeez. As of nine hours ago, according to Vice. Vice was this bit where like uh, and talked about what it's like being in a society. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's still a real thing, and this kind of uh, relates to the, um, a news story that Blake and I talked about on episode one forty four about Tesla's biohazard weaponry defense yeah, system, the- where they're trying to again, it's kind of on the same note of this of kind of just be more aware of these hazards and pollutants and just hazardous chemicals and substances in the air that we're exposed to. And, you know, in the, in the, with the Tesla, they're just trying to, like, testify it and make it, like, non-existent, whereas here they're just trying to manage it and control it and just get more data on it. Yeah, so, so I, I think they're, they're doing, a, they're, they're doing a, a variety of different things here, right? They're trying to get information not only about the types of, of uh, chemicals, pollutants, all that stuff that the firefighters are inhaling, um, you know, that, uh, via these sensors. But I think they're also gathering, like, medical data on the firefighters themselves. So are they able to um, potentially lift these things in these buildings? Are they able to... Uh, what, what's happening to their oxygen levels as they're going through these things? Like, what other supplements do we need to provide these firefighters for them to do their job, um, you know, that we rely so heavily on when these awful fires happen, right? So it's, it's cool to see them collect the data. And I think the other thing that I, I found really interesting is that they're using this dashboard that synthesizes all this information um, 
into this visualization. And I had hoped that these visualization and assessment um, pieces actually provide meaningful, actionable feedback. Like, is this something that somebody's looking at live in the moment and saying, hey, your heart rate's going way up, calm down, let's bring you out, let's pull somebody else in. You know, is it something like that? Or is it much more like, and saying, hey, your heart rate's going way up, calm down, let's bring you out, let's pull somebody else in. You know, is it something like that? Or is it much more like, all right, we're going to kind of look at these things post hoc and see how those exercises went, how, you know, that rescue attempt went, those types of things, right? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I feel like it kind of it probably comes in steps, right? Like, you probably first have this idea of post hoc analysis of just getting general idea of or aggregate information about the context that they're in, the environment, and then from that, maybe you can plan, use that as a planning tool. But then eventually, I think it's going to go towards the idea of just real-time, live management of these firefighters, their tasks, their environment, um, kind of what you're saying. And that has, I feel like, implications to many other domains. I mean, think military. Think about, like, a high, you know, uh, you know Navy SEALs who are in these ridiculously complex, dynamic environments, how they could possibly, you know, be under stress. And so to be able to get that information live and readjust accordingly is, is super, super uh, powerful. Yeah, so I'm looking here at the sensor up dashboard, and it looks like you can see heart rate uh, as well as body temperature for a variety of different um, uh, bodies, right? So you could almost see, you know, you could sort by who has the lowest body temperature, who has the highest body temperature. So you can almost like set these thresholds and see like, you know, at least in this example, we have someone's heart rates at 116. That might be considered high for a firefighter, right? And we have like a red flag that goes off and you say, all right, John Doe, you need to come back because, you know, your your heart rate's really high. So I, I think this makes most sense in a real-time environment. And then, yes, if you can pull that data into a later post hoc study that informs how we can better... Um, firefighters in in situations like if we can give them an extra oxygen tank or something that I don't know keeps their oxygen levels high or I don't know I don't know enough about the domain to to speculate at all um, but I, I think it could help for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think SensorUp is definitely uh, a company that's doing great things with great ideas and um, I mean th that video we were just watching was three years old and it kind of just was heart rate and body temperature, but I'm right. sure since then they've done a lot more metrics and different sensor parameters. And Yeah, I mean, um, they talked about pollutants too. Yeah. So I'm sure you can see like when a, when a level gets to a certain threshold, oh, that's going to penetrate the suit. Like we need to get you out of there, all of you out of there. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I can see a lot of use uh, for that. All right, any other closing thoughts on this one? Uh, just, just shout out to all the firefighters saving our lives and I've read this or I heard this somewhere where apparently like one in four or one in four need or require the use or assistance of a firefighter in one's life. So um, it's more it's more at home than one would think. Um, yeah, we, we got to stop leaving. Oh yeah, this is actually at HFES. Uh, one of the one of the main contributors to fire to fires in houses is people leaving popcorn. Really? Um, yeah. How does that work? I don't actually know. Is, it, about is, it, is popcorn just that flammable that, like, if, if it's exposed to heat, it just spontaneously combusts? And Pop, then you have high pressure system maybe inside yeah. the bag, unchecked. But either way, um, just just I'm, I'm glad that Center Up is doing this and that their, you know, their main focus is in the firefighting 
sector right. because I think that's a really important one. And you know, if their lives aren't taken care of, then who are we to uh, to look forward? So yeah. Okay. So moral of the show: Do not show. Do not leave your popcorn in the microwave. HFES was great. Having a baby crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week. Um, you can join the discussion on our Slack, or you can follow us all over the social media channels at Factors Podcast. We are back. If you want to email us, you can hit us up at show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice, or consider uh, supporting us on Patreon. Uh, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. Or thanks, B. I'm going to mess up your name. I'm really sorry. Svee Spivak. Beautiful. I did it. I want to thank you for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk more about Baby Drones? Baby Drones. Uh, you, can, you can reach me at my, uh, on my LinkedIn. It's Svee Spivak. Uh, it's seven so far. Um, and you're also on the Slack. I'm also on the Slack. There we go. All right. As for me, I've been your host, Nick. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.